0: At this time, the children are dismissed for children's church up through fourth grade. You guys can go on out. The rest of us turn uh, back to John chapter 10. I'm thankful for Ryan uh, last week who worked through um, the whole book of Isaiah. So there you go. You guys all know what Isaiah is about, but I am thankful. I listened to the sermon. It was excellent. Thinking about what does it mean that Jesus comes to the least of these, even in the midst of... um, eunuchs and foreigners, we also see that John chapter 10 is following up, uh, and it's really the last bit of Jesus' public ministry, the very last bit that Jesus uh, proclaims publicly in the Gospel of John. After this, all of his ministry will be done with the disciples, and we'll sort of have a bird's eye view of what's going on. But in this case, he's still, after the Feast of the Booze, after the healing of the blind man, and again, what we see in John chapter 10 follows… Uh, John chapter 9 and it's linked to this so um, please forgive me I did forget the Lord's prayer I do forget that sometimes Um, but there's grace that's why we're called grace right Um, let's read the word of God John chapter 10 verses 1 through 10 hear the word of the Lord truly truly I say to you The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Okay, so in the midst of this story, we see that this follows John chapter 9, the healing of the blind man, and really what's happening is they are saying, um, are we also blind? The Pharisees are saying, are we also blind? You know, because you've healed this other man, but you're saying that we're blind, blind to the truth that you're the Messiah. Are we blind? And there's really, in the midst of the Feast of the Booths, there's about 14 times, 14 questions throughout chapter 7 through chapter 9, where they ask this, who really are you? Are you really the Christ? Are you really who you say you are? They're asking this question, and Jesus responds in this way. He goes, Um, he speaks about the sheep. So we transition into this, I am the good shepherd. But before we get to the good shepherd, he says, I am the door. I am the door. And really he's saying to them, I am the gate. And he uses it in two different ways. In the first way, in the first sense of John chapter 10 verses one through six, he talks about it uh, in one one scenario where we see this, where the um, sheep are all gathered together in a communal pen in a city. And 7 through 10, he's speaking about being the door with regard to being out in the wilderness. And we're going to get to that. But let me ask you this question. Have you ever gone through the wrong door? Anybody here ever gone through the wrong door? All right, let me just give you an example. So about two years ago, I'm uh, in Virginia hiking with my brother. And uh, we had gone to a restaurant. It's called Blue Mountain Restaurant. It's on the side of a mountain uh, right outside of Charlottesville and we're there, and, um, and, and we, we, were, we had a great dinner, and we were getting ready to go on a hike, or we'd been on a hike, and we're getting ready to do our hiking thing, and, um, and my brother, I'm, I'm paying the bill, and um, my brother comes out, and it's like, we got to leave right now, and I'm like, what, what, what's going on? Why do we have to leave right now? He goes, I went into the women's restroom, <laughs> and I thought it was odd, because I walked into the women's, women's restroom, and there were only stalls, and I was like, Okay, so he goes into a stall and he closes the door and he does what he knows to do. And as he comes out, there are women, you know, in the restroom. And then he walks out and he's as red as a beet. And as he walks out, he says, okay, I need to leave. I need to leave very quickly. Now, I want you to know that this particular restroom actually was labeled correctly. It was labeled men and women it was not labeled. And I don't think that we should have to know like, like 10 different foreign words for men and women in order to figure out which, you know, when restaurants are cute about this, like I don't think I should know, like if I go to a French restaurant, like les hommes is men and les femmes is female or, you know, hombre and uh, mujer and those kind of things. Or I really don't want to have to go to a restaurant and figure out which type of animal I am. You ever go there? And you go into it and you're like, well, am I a, or, you know, am I a, uh, am I a pointer or am I a setter? You know, I actually went to a restaurant one time and it was like, and I'm like, I don't know which type of dog I am. And I'm pretty sure that I'm going to get in trouble if I go in here. Or you go to like Outback Steakhouse and it's like, uh, buoys or buoys and gulls. And I'm like, I think I'm a buoy. And you kind of open the door and you're like, all right, okay. I can go in here, right? You guys have all, anybody here, um, I mean, come on, I, you guys are laughing because you know this is true, right? I mean, like, you've walked in the wrong restroom, and you've immediately turned around and left. Now, in the same way, I say this because I think the Pharisees are trying to figure this out. They're trying to figure out which door should we walk into. And Jesus uses this analogy, and he uses this analogy in, in, in a brilliant way, because he, he, he um, migrates from the healing of the blind man to shepherd agrarian uh, allegory. And what we're celebrating from John chapter 7 through chapter 10, what we're speaking of is the festival of booths. And the festival of booths is a celebration that God took care of his people. So they would come together, they would go to Jerusalem, they would build tents. And what they're remembering is this, is that God led them. God led them as a shepherd through the wilderness wanderings. He led them like a shepherd and he led them to the promised land. And so as the people are now ending the festival of booze, they're reminded of the provision of God. And so when he says, I'm the shepherd, now one of the differences in the Old Testament shepherds compared to like today's shepherds is that today's shepherds, you'll often see shepherds behind sheep, driving sheep, okay? Driving sheep along. In the Old Testament, what Jesus is saying is a shepherd, a good shepherd would be leading his sheep. He would be out in front of his sheep, and that they would be following him, he would draw them to himself, and so he changes the allegory here. And what we find, um, and I, and I love this, is what he says is, uh, and really, this is um, we see this language all over the place, like Psalm twenty-three. You know, um, the Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. We know that one. Uh, we see all the, also this uh, throughout the Old Testament. We all like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has laid on him meaning on Jesus, on the Messiah, the iniquity of us all in Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, but we also see that this is a fulfillment of a prophecy that Moses um, actually was asking for in, in Numbers chapter 27. Again, in the midst of the wilderness wandering, uh, wanderings, when God was going to take Moses out because he was going to die, here's what Moses said. Moses said this in Numbers chapter 27. Moses spoke to the Lord saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. Now that was fulfilled partially in the person of Joshua as Joshua led the people into the promised land. But ultimately, they were waiting for the good shepherd, the good shepherd who would come. So Jesus begins uh, with this analogy. Again, when we look at uh, chapter 10, verses 1 through 6, um, Jesus is talking, and he's using an allegory, and he's talking about when shepherds would come in from the wilderness, and they would go into town, they would go into Jerusalem, they would go into Bethlehem, they would go into a town, there would be a communal sheep pen and the, and the the shepherds would lead their sheep, and all the sheep would go into this pen, and it was a pen that was you know, surrounded by um, you know a fence, you know or maybe a building or whatever it was, and there would be a porter, and there would be a person who was in charge. So that means that the shepherd would sort of have a night off, or a week off, or however long he would be, uh, his sheep would be in that communal pen. And what he's saying here is this. Um, He says this to them, he says in the midst of this, and again, we see truly, truly, that happens twice here, chapter 10, verse 1, and again in chapter 10, verse 7, where it says truly, truly, and again, 25 times in the Gospel of John, when Jesus says truly, truly, he's saying, take note, I'm about to say something very significant about myself that you need to know. Truly, truly. He says, truly, truly. I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. Now, what he's saying to the Pharisees who had just asked him in verse 40 of chapter 9, when they say, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains truly, truly. Again, um, the chapter divisions within your Bible were not there originally. They're there so that we can understand how to get to places in the Bible. So following up on that, what he's saying is, you guys are thieves and robbers. You are entering the, the pen by another door. And he says to them, you know, and again, the difference between a thief and a robber, a thief is someone who does it stealthily, who tries to make as little noise as possible, but to take away that which is not his. A robber is one who takes by violence and force. That's the difference. That's the the distinguishing characteristics of thieves and robbers. And what he's saying is, you shepherds of Israel— you are thieves and robbers. Whether you do it uh, quietly, you are stealing the peace away from people. You are stealing away the joy that God has for them. Or maybe you're doing it um, in a way that is actually more physical or that is more confrontational. And you're actually hurting people. Again, you know, in, in, in the midst of you know, j- the Gospel of John, we actually see this. Um, It's illustrated when you think about the woman caught in adultery in in chapter eight, where they actually planned. The Pharisees brought a woman and were actually getting ready to stone her for her sin. But Jesus is saying that. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. Now in this uh, section of scripture, the gatekeeper represents God the Father. So God the Father has assembled the sheep of Israel and what Jesus is saying is the the shepherd enters in through the gate and the porter, God the Father, actually says, yes, he confirms that this is the shepherd. Now that's what we see in this particular passage. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. Get this, the sheep hear his voice And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. You see, Jesus not only goes through the door because he's the good shepherd, but Jesus goes through the door at the will of the porter who allows him in. And then what he does is he calls his sheep. Now, think about this. Think about you have, you know, tens, hundreds, thousands of sheep there, right? And they're all intermingling, okay? And what Jesus does is he begins to call his sheep by name. He calls them out. And so how do the sheep know who their shepherd is? They know his voice because they've been listening to his voice in the wilderness since the day they were born. It's the first voice they heard when they were birthed, and it's the voice they've been hearing. It's the voice of one who will lead them, you know, to streams of living water, into to good grass, and, and, and to safety. And so, the shepherd would actually call them out, and he would call them out by name. Now, the beauty of this is that shepherds, you know, sometimes will actually name their sheep, you know, and, and we think about, you know, naming some of the sheep, and we certainly all have names, but sometimes it would be like, you know, long ears, or, you know, short ears, or you know, always lost or, you know, that almost sounds like Indian names, right? You know, as, as these sheeps, you know, are, are, are around. You know, but you listen and the sheep would know the voice of their shepherd. Now, theologically, we see this is that the good shepherd calls his sheep to himself. What we call that theologically is the calling of God. Actually, what we call it even more specifically is we call that effectual calling, the effectual calling of Christ upon our lives. Now, what is effectual calling? Like, listen to this. The the Westminster Shorter Catechism says this. Um, What is effectual calling? Effectual calling, again, where the shepherd calls you. Effectual calling is the work of God's spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ and renewing our wills, he doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. It is the call of God in our lives. Now, um, the larger catechism is, is similar to that, you know, where it says effectual calling is the work of God's almighty power and grace. And he invites and draws them, those who hear the call to Jesus Christ. And this is nothing new. We see this throughout the New Testament. We see this throughout the New Testament in this way. In Matthew chapter 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Or about The story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And all of us are singing that song in our head, if you know that song, right? Or in John chapter 1, verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. And they got up and they followed, or Philip got up and followed him. Or when we think about the voice of the Savior, the voice of Jesus, when we think about John chapter 11, when we think about a dead man in a tomb, Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus and he stands outside and after weeping uh, for Mary uh, and Martha, he then goes and he says and he cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Even the dead will obey the voice of the shepherd when the shepherd is Jesus. That's the call of God. Really, that's the call of God that takes place in our own lives when we're dead in our own sin and transgressions and the call of God comes and it says, George, follow me. I'm going to follow him. You see, Jesus knows us each by name. And he looks out and he says, come, follow me as the shepherd does. I love this story too. In John chapter 20, we'll get to it. I don't know when we're going to get to it, but we're going to get to it eventually. Um, When Mary is at the tomb of Jesus, and Jesus shows up, but but Mary, and, and this is, I'm in John chapter 20, verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and to your God. What was it that made Mary recognize the Savior? It's when he said, Mary. He knew her name. You see, the thieves and the robbers and the Pharisees didn't know the names of the people. They were there to take and to devour but Jesus, Jesus says, come and follow me. But Jesus, um, in this sense, you know, not only says, not only do I go through the door, right? Because now we get to, to John uh, chapter 10, verse 7. Jesus says, not only do I go through the door, but I am the door. That's the difference in religions here, okay? In religions, everybody has special knowledge about who God is. Jesus shows up and says, I am God. That's the difference. I mean, that is a fundamental difference between you know, Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism and even, quite frankly, Judaism, right? Even though we're based upon Judaism, Christianity is, when Jesus says, not only do I go through the door, because you know, Moses might have gone through the door for the sheep, but Jesus says, I am the door. You see, um, many people today... We'll say this is that fundamentally all religions are the same. It's just that um, externally they look a little bit different. Okay? We'll, we'll say that. You know, like they they but we would say this, rather, is that all religions <laughs> look similar in some sense, that they have an assembly, but fundamentally we are different. Because of Jesus. Jesus makes a huge difference because he is alive and he is the door. And again, this is one of the, the great I am statements. He says, I don't have special knowledge about the door. I am the door. When, um, GK, when G. Campbell Morgan um, was traveling across the Atlantic, now G. Campbell Morgan was the um, predecessor to Martin Lloyd-Jones, Uh, He was traveling across the Atlantic, this is like in the early 1900s, on a steamer. And he noticed that among the passengers was Sir George Adam Smith, the most famous Old Testament scholar at the time. The greatest preacher of the day, Morgan, and the greatest Old Testament scholar, Smith, had a great time as they traveled together. Morgan said that among the tales Sir George told of the East was this one. So Sir George had spent time in Israel, uh, spent time in the Jordan Valley. And he says this. He says, he was one day traveling with a guide and came across a shepherd and his sheep. And he fell into conversation with him. The man showed him the fold into which the sheep were led at night. The fold, it consisted of four walls with a way in. Sir George said to him, That is where they go at night. Yes, said the shepherd. And when they are in there, they are perfectly safe. But there is no door, said Sir George. I am the door, said the shepherd. He was not a Christian man. He was not speaking in the language of the New Testament. He was speaking from the Arabs, Arab shepherd's standpoint. Sir George looked at him and said, What do you mean by the door? Said the shepherd, When the light has gone and all the sheep are inside, I lie in the open space, and no sheep ever goes out but across my body, and no wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. I am Am the door. That's what Jesus is saying. And Jesus is saying in the midst of the wilderness, he will take his sheep and he will bring them into the, uh, the, the fold at night, to the, to the pen at night, and there is no door because he is the door. And if you are called by him and you are drawn into the sheep pen, then he is your protector. So you see, a door, what do we use a door for? We use a door for protection. A door keeps those in and those out who should be out, right? I mean, this is where we we think about, um, you know, Jesus uh, being, and and really I think about Jesus in in Matthew chapter 7, where he says, you know, that he is the firm foundation. And when the storms of life will swirl around us, uh, we can stand firmly on Him rather than on the shifting sands of men. I really think that the three little pigs was actually based upon that story. You know, when the wolves come and they howl, they can't come against the little pig who had a brick house because the foundation and the walls were firm and secure. But the door that we see, the door is Jesus. You see, Jesus is the door, He is a protector, He is our King who subdues all of His and our enemies. And we are safe with the guard at the door. Sometimes we just want to know, and I think about this, uh, there's three ways that we see this um, in John chapter 10. The first is that Jesus is the door, and the door is the protector for us. Notice what it says here in verse 9. He says, all who came, in verse 8, he says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, this idea of salvation, this idea of, of being saved and protected, I mean, sometimes, I mean, quite frankly, when we think about the gospel message, what does Jesus bring to us? He brings about protection. Um, I think many of us long to have the protection of, of another over top of us. When you're you're a small child, uh, again, I've said this before, when you're you're ill, when you're sick, you just want your mom and dad to be near you. You might even sleep um, on, I I remember um, when our kids were sick sometimes, we would actually bring their mattress into our bedroom and we would allow our kids to sleep on the mattress basically next to our beds and they just wanted to be close to us because in the midst of fear, you just want to be protected or you want to know that you're not alone. Sometimes when, when people go to the hospital or have to have surgery, um, and I'll, I'll go there and, and, and visit them prior to it, and, and they just, there's, there's fear because they just feel alone. You see, what Jesus does is he protects us. He is the door. So the wolves can't come in to get us. And then What's beautiful about it is he's also the door because he doesn't allow any of the sheep to go out unless he knows it's safe (laughs) or that he'll be with them to guide them. But not only does he protect us, we also see this, it says this in the thief, um, I am the door, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. It's this idea of salvation. Salvation. And Jesus is the one through which we enter into salvation. And I want you to think about this for a second. You are saved if you have come in Christ. The pl- your place in eternity is secure because of what Jesus did for you. There is a sure and certain place that brings us, or a person that brings us to a place of peace. And this is what Jesus does. He saves us. Um, As a matter of fact, we think about this when the curtain in the temple was torn in two, because when Jesus died, that temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the inner chamber was torn in two from top to bottom. It's an unusual tear. It would never happen. It had to be miraculous. And when that temple, when the Holy of Holies curtain was torn in two, and we read about it at the, you know, in, in Luke chapter, you know, 23, or at the end of Mark, it says it was torn in two, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two when Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And essentially, he says, It is finished. What he means by that is, We are saved. We are saved from the wrath of God, from the righteous wrath of God for all of our sins. And that curtain, which was the dividing point between a holy God and a sinful people, was torn in two, and that every person is able to have a reconciled relationship with God the Father through Jesus the Son. You see, there's there's great salvation that occurs. If you go in through Christ, you are reconciled to the Father. You know, some people will say at times that All ways lead to God. All religions lead to God. And I'm here to say, yeah, that's true. But only one door leads to peace with God. Only one way leads to a reconciled relation. See, all religions will ultimately lead to the Father. And all those other religions say, you must pay for your sins. But Christianity says... Jesus has paid for our sins in our place. We call that substitutionary atonement. Penal substitutionary atonement. That's what we believe. You see, Jesus is the only door. He's the only way in. And that salvation that we see, who, who can get it? Who can get that salvation? Notice what it says. It says, um, anyone if anyone enters by me, meaning that all people can come, young or old, rich or poor, probably not so many rich, but a lot of poor, male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, KU or K-State fans, even Mizzou fans, they can all come. Anyone, anyone can come to the Father through the gate known as Jesus. That's called the free offer of the gospel. That's the beauty of the free offer of the gospel. But but I I want you to see this too. You know, there's also in in, in verse 10, there's this idea of the thief comes, um, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Have life abundantly and have it abundantly. Well, what does that mean? That means that when you go through the door of Jesus, there is this idea of abundant life. And that is a huge theme that, that we track throughout the Gospel of John. And, and above all, and I'm reading, um, Boyce says this, James Montgomery Boyce says, above all, the con- this ref- references the contented life in which contentment comes from the confidence that God is equal to every emergency and does indeed supply all our genuine needs according to his riches in Jesus Christ our Lord. It doesn't mean that you you won't have difficulty and struggle and trials, but it does mean that there will be a contentment to your life, a contentment that comes. Now, now what is contentment? Contentment means satisfaction, satisfaction. And satisfaction means having enough. Contentment is satisfaction, and satisfaction is having enough. It actually comes, this this word, we get um, the English word abundance, this abundant life, as it were, comes from two Latin words, ab and under, which means to rise in waves, sort of the unceasing waves that occur at the beach or at the ocean. If you ever been to the Atlantic or the Pacific, it just seems like the waves will never end. And that's the connotation here, that's the meaning. That this contentment and this satisfaction, the riches of Jesus that come to the people who believe in him and who have entered into the door just continue to come. It also has this other idea of um, overflowing. The other picture is a flood. The Greek word for abundance here in the the Greek is uh, parasos, which has a mathematical meaning and generally denotes a surplus. So that what we receive is a surplus, an overflow, an unending, unceasing grace from our Father through Jesus the Son. Now, what does that do for us, this this abundant life, this satisfaction? Well, I want you to think about these things. You know, they, they bring peace to those who are struggling. You know, you can stop acting. Jesus knows you for all your folly, and he gave his life for you. You can stop trying to earn your salvation, but rather you can rest in his righteousness and his love. That's why he says to abide in Him. I think, and I would, you know, even in my own life, you know, the, the the cause of anxiety is oftentimes because I'm trying to abide in something that will not give me satisfaction, something that will not be overflowing from the Father. But when I rest in Christ, He brings peace to my soul. Here's here's an example. I remember. Uh, and I, I may have told this story, but it's such a good story that sometimes really good stories need to be retold. But in the midst of this church conflict that we had in Virginia, we had two deacons that were in conflict with one another. And one deacon had basically said, um, hey, I, I, we have to leave the church because we can't get along. And, and that's just crushing when you see two leaders in the church not being able to get along. And I was I was just downcast. I was distressed. I was distraught over this because both of these deacons were my friend. and The one who was leaving was a dear friend of mine. And I had an elder friend named Bob and Bob Neal came up to me and he, and he looked at me and we went out to breakfast one day and I was just lamenting the fact that this person was leaving. And he looks at me and he goes, um, you still get to go to heaven, right? And I went, what'd you say, Bob? He goes, yeah, this guy might leave the church, but you and I, we still get to go to heaven, right? And I'm like, Yeah, that's how I read it, Bob. (laughs) That's how I'm reading the scripture. He goes, then what are you worried about? He goes, you still get to go to heaven. And I just remember that. And so sometimes in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of distress, in the midst of people not getting along, I just have to remind myself, I still get to go to heaven. I still get to go to heaven. And what that does, the peace of God that, that rules and reigns in my heart and mind there also allows me to do this. It allows me to be courageous. It allows us to have courage It allows us to actually say to people when they're wrong or when they're right or to encourage or actually bring the gospel offer to them. You see, the abundant life, the contented life, the satisfied life, the life that overflows from heaven will not only bring peace, it will bring courage. And that's what the sheep were able to experience because as they enter into the door, they know that they're safe. And as they exit the door, they know that the Lord will bring them out and he will lead them to places where they can feed in safety because Jesus has their back. Now, there is this idea though that people struggle with in this particular passage in in one through 10, as well as uh, John 6, uh, 37 you know, John six thirty seven says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. It's a wonderful, um, it, it is a wonderful promise there. But some people will sort of get their, their mind wrapped around the axle, or their heart wrapped around the axle of their mind, thinking, well, like, am I called by God? Have, does Jesus know me by name? Has he called me to himself? And yet, at the same time, I see in John 10, we also see that if anyone comes through the gate, that they're saved. So which is it? Am I, am I called by God? Or does anyone who comes, are they saved? And we would say, yes. We would say, yes. We would say, that our, does God call people to himself? absolutely. Why do we believe that? Because it's written in your Bibles. You know, one of the the biggest issues that I get uh, as people come into the church, you know, is they're like, what's the difference between Presbyterianism and whatever else it might be, right? And oftentimes what I have to go into is like, well, we believe in um, a calling of God. We believe in predestination. They're like, "Whoa, whoa, you believe in predestination? Yes. If you're a biblical Christian, you believe in predestination. The Word is all over your Bible. It's everywhere. You have to address it. But then people get upset because they're like, yeah, but but does God call everybody? Is the offer of the gospel to everyone? I'm like, yes, the free offer of the gospel is to everyone. Well, is everybody called by name? I don't know. I don't think so. It doesn't seem like everybody's called. He calls people by name. Well, how does that work itself out? I don't know. You're like, I don't know these things. I just do the best I can from the Bible that I'm given, right? And some people will say, well, I don't believe in predestination. And I'm like, well, I don't." just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not true, right? I don't like the fact that food has calories in it, (laughs) and yet I'll tell you that if I continue to consume Reese's peanut butter Easter eggs, I will consume calories that will make me have to buy pants and other things, right? Just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not true, right? Now, there's a story. Let me conclude with this story about a woman who was struggling with this idea of effectual calling and the free offer of the gospel, how does it work itself out? And James Boyce tells this story of a woman at 10th Prez, and that's a church in Philadelphia in our denomination, actually, who was riddled with doubt. And the pastor at this church at the time was his predecessor named Donald Gray Barnhouse, in Donald Gray Barnhouse, he was talking about the cross and of the need to believe on the Christ who died upon it. And the woman I am talking about was not a Christian. She, and and I'm, um, this is Boyce telling the story. She had been raised in a religious home and had heard about Jesus. She had heard about the cross, but she did not understand these things, and therefore obviously had never actually trusted in Jesus for her salvation. In order to make clear that for salvation, only belief in Jesus is necessary, Barnhouse said this. He goes, imagine the cross has a door in it. And imagine that's a, you know, a much bigger cross, right? But the cross has a door in it. And all you are asked to do is to go through. On one side, the side facing you, there is written an invitation, whoever will may come. You stand there with your sin upon you and wonder if you should enter or not. Finally, you do. And as you do, the burden of your sin drops away. You are safe and free. Joyfully, you then turn around and see written on the backside of the cross through which you have now entered the words, chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Barnhouse then invited those who were listening to enter in. This woman later said that this was the first time in her life that she had really understood what it meant to be a Christian and that in understanding it, she had believed. She believed right there in that church at that moment. She entered into the door. Moreover, the rest of her life bore witness to the fact that a great change had occurred and that she was God's child. And James Boyce says this, I am certain of the facts of this story because this woman was my mother. She entered in by the gate. And she goes, I now have peace and courage and I have a good shepherd. One of the things that we see is that Jesus invites all those who trust and believe in him who have entered into the gate, who have come in to partake of this meal. You see, Jesus gives us signs and symbols, and we we celebrated baptism, but we also get to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And And this bread represents his body broken for you. This cup represents his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. And brothers and sisters, if you have, if you have entered into the gate, if you know that he is the good shepherd and that he knows you by name, then you are invited to come and partake of this meal. And this is, to made, um, this is meant to whet our appetites for heaven. See, this is just an appetizer for the great wedding feast of the Lamb, when we will all be with Jesus forever, and we will feast, feast with Jesus. The words of institution are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul says, I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with with me. Father in heaven, I pray, Lord, that you would set apart these elements from their common use. And yet, Father, you overflow spiritually upon us. Your means of grace, Father, they flow upon us and they restore our soul, they increase our faith, they renew our energy. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Father, as we partake. That we would know that you alone save and that you love us and you have given your life for us. Father, I pray that we would live lives as we enter into Jesus, that we would feast upon him, abide with him, and love him more than any other. Father, would you help us to remember. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.